Well, good morning again. Welcome. And graduates, once again, seriously, congratulations. Uh, it really is a big deal uh, that you made it, you did all the work, you got through. Like, it's, it is a serious feat to do all that. And so we just honor you guys. Congratulations. And thank you for allowing us to honor you guys uh, in front. And aren't you glad I didn't make you share your testimony for uh, five minutes? So, uh, sorry, I was just uh, having some fun there. These thoughts come into my head and sometimes I share and without thinking too much. So, uh, but glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to explore and ask the questions that you have about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about faith, about why you're here. We all, every human being has those questions. We all have to ask those questions. We all have to answer those questions because we all wonder, what is my purpose? How did I get here? Think about that. How did you get here? How did the world get here? You can't have something come out of nothing. And so how did that happen? And so we have to wrestle with those questions. What better place than to explore those questions here at Northridge? So we're just glad you're here. Whether you're here in the room and I can see you, or maybe you're joining us online and I can't see you, but you can see me and you can you experience what's going on here, that's awesome. No matter how you're here, we're just glad you're here. So uh, I brought a uh, necklace here today. No, it's not mine. Uh, but it is a pearl necklace. Uh, yes, this is my wife Laura's necklace, and yes, I asked permission to bring these today. Uh, in fact, I had to ask her. I was pretty sure she had pearls, but I wasn't sure. I was like, hey, do you have pearls? So everybody, you can kind of tell these are pearls. Now, the question I have for you is, how is a pearl made? A lot of you have probably heard this or read articles on this or watched a, a video on this, but pearls are very simply made. In fact, we usually farm pearls now these days, so we don't have to go looking for them. We have clam or oyster or mollusk farms where people will actually create pearls. And how they create them is they take a grain of sand or something small that's abrasive, it's not comfortable, and they stick it in the oyster or the clam or the mollusk. And the response of the clam or the oyster or whatever they stick this into is to start coding that disruption in their life with their own organic material that comes from their body, from the inside of the oyster. And they layer it, and they layer it, and they layer it, and they layer it, and it takes several months up to several years, depending on the type of oyster or clam, and eventually you end up with a pearl, which is really kind of cool. But I want to ask the question, how does a pearl begin? It starts with a disruption in the clam's life, in the oyster's life. It starts with a disruption. It starts with something happening that it did not intend and did not ask for. It started with a disruption in its life. And so today, why do I start that way? It sounds a little ominous. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But the truth is that I start that way because today we are going to finish, we're going to wrap up, we're going to land the plane on our series called Modnik today. And today's last letter is M, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in the, in the series Modnik, we've been talking about a lot of different things. So we started by talking about the fact that Jesus is our king on a cross. 
that he died on a cross for you and I. And we ask the question, what kind of king would leave his throne, would leave perfection to come and die on a cross for you and for me? And the answer to that is Jesus is that king. But why would he do that? Well, that took us to the second one, which is the letter I, which is the reason that he went to the cross, and that's because he wanted to invite every person, every human being, to be a part of his kingdom. The invitation is there. Not everybody accepts it, but we've all been invited. And then the next one we learned, the next several things that we learned is what happens in God's kingdom. What is a reality in God's kingdom? And so the first thing that we learned is that in God's kingdom, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It starts by being about God. And what's cool about God is he loves you so much, he actually makes his kingdom about you, but it can't start with you. It has to start with God first. It has to be about his love first. And then we learned about that in God's kingdom, God expects generosity from us. Generosity with our time, generosity with our talents, generosity with our treasure. That God wants us to be extremely generous like he was radically generous to us in giving us his son. And then after that, we we had the ladder up here and we talked about the fact in, in God's kingdom, we do not ascend into greatness. The way to achieve greatness in God's kingdom is to descend, to put yourself second, humility, talked about that at a wedding yesterday. Humility is the key to everything in God's kingdom. And then last week we talked about the letter O and we talked about the fact that in God's kingdom he desires for us to put others first. Allow other people to go ahead of us, to serve other people, to kind of place them ahead of ourselves. And so this leads us to the last one, which is a disruption in our lives. It really is countercultural. It goes against everything that we believe. It goes against everything that we feel as human beings. It doesn't make sense. It feels like a grain of sand. It feels like something that's out of place in our culture. So the letter M stands for the fact that in God's kingdom, more is less and less is more. It flies in the face of our culture, which teaches us something different. You guys know what our culture teaches? Our culture teaches us that more is more. That more is better. That more will make you happy. But God suggests a different way. He says more is less and less is more. So there's this pastor named uh, Reese Whitehead who uh, is an assistant pastor at a church uh, called New Hope Church in North Carolina. In fact, New Hope Church is the one that did a series uh, called Modnik. It's where I, I was going through a bunch of things. I didn't even watch their, their sermons, but I saw this graphic come up, Modnik, and I was like, what's that? that looks cool. I don't know what Modnik is. And then I realized like, oh, you know, this is kingdom spelled backwards. That's interesting. That's really cool. And so we're like, okay, we, I think we need to talk about some of these things. And so we started to dig in. Well, Pastor Reese was sharing in one of the sermons about this uh, process of making ancient wooden arrow. And he gives like these seven different steps for making a wooden arrow. So uh, I have a picture, like if you imagine an arrow, this, this is not an ancient arrow. I, I looked at all the pictures. There are no good pictures of ancient wooden arrows on Google. Let me just tell you that. I spent 
I'll say too long, probably 10 minutes, looking for a stupid picture of an ancient arrow this week. Couldn't find one, so I was like, well, that's a wooden arrow. Let's go with that, all right? And so this is uh, the seven steps to make a wooden arrow, and these seven steps are parallels to why and how God wants to disrupt your life. This is not something that's necessarily going to be just, oh, welcoming to you. It's going to be a disruption. It's going to be something that changes how you operate. But let me be clear, the reason I'm sharing these seven different steps is because God wants to make you into an arrow. What do I mean by that? What I mean is God wants you to fly straight, which means he wants you to fly according to this, his word, scripture, This is not just a random bunch of authors who threw some cool things together and a bunch of guys got together and said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's throw that one in there. Nope. We believe that this is God's word, perfect as it was written, perfect as it was put together, perfect in that everything in here applies to our life. God wants you to be an arrow, but he also wants you to hit the target, right? He doesn't want you to just fly, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, 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 a bowman or an archer, like just swinging their bow around. What do you do when that happens? Everybody's looking, like we're dodging, right? Why? Because we're not even aiming for a target. God wants you not just to be able to release yourself, to be released into ministry, to be released to show people in this world God's love, but he wants you to hit the target. So how do we do that? We need to be created as the right kind of arrow. And so let me give you the seven steps that lead us to how God disrupts our lives to help us believe and understand that more truly is less and less truly is more. So step number one, this is going to be obvious, but you have to choose the branch. You have to choose the type of wood that you're going to use for the arrow because that definitely dictates the type of arrow and how well and how effective this arrow is going to be. Well, what does this remind us of? What this reminds us of is the fact that God chose you. He chose you. He said, you're going to be, make a great arrow. Aren't you glad that you can be an arrow today? Yay. God says, you are going to be a great arrow And I chose you. God loved us first. And he calls us to love him and he calls us to love others, but he loved us first. So 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says this. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He chose us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. The first step in order to allowing God to disrupt your life is to realize that God actually chose you. He loves you and he, yes, wants you to be an arrow. He wants you to have impact in this world. Yes, he wants you to show other people his love and his grace and his forgiveness. It's not a question. If you're wondering if you have worth, if you're wondering if you're unique enough, if you're wondering if God has actually invited you into his kingdom, let me answer emphatically, yes, he has. 
Every single one of you, whether you believe in Him or not. God already believed in you and already knew you were going to exist before you ever were born. He knew exactly what you were going to need to become an arrow. He chose you. God loved you first. So the first one is we're chosen. The second one, the second step in the process of making an ancient arrow, a wooden arrow, is you have to remove the the bark and the branches and the outer coating from the arrow. I don't know about you, but if you just grabbed a branch like off your tree, some of you like cut off a branch and it had all the things sticking out and then you put it in your bow and you tried to fire that, what's going to (laughs) happen? It's going to snap, branches are going to hit you in the face, it's definitely not going to fly, it's not going to fly straight, it's not even going to go any very, very far. It's, if it doesn't come back and hit you in the face, it's just going to drop on the ground, right? Because it's going to hit all the branches and the bark, it's going to catch, it's not going to fly like an arrow, it's not even, it's not even going to be an arrow. So the first thing that has to happen after we're chosen is we have to remove some things from our lives. This is the part that I would say... We don't like. We don't like this part. This is the part where God says, eh, we need to tweak a few things. We need to prune a few things. We need to, need to cut a few things out. You guys already know the verse I'm going to say, right? John 15, these are Jesus' words. He says this. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, Jesus says. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I want to ask a question for a moment here that we maybe don't want to ponder, but I think it's important. What needs to be pruned in your life? What's a little rough? What seems to be, maybe it's producing some fruit, but it's not producing all the fruit that it could. Or maybe there's something when I said that, maybe there's an answer to the second question, which is, what needs to be cut out of your life? Is it a substance? Is it a TV show? Maybe. Is it a person? I know, we don't like that. We're like, well, we should love all people. Yes, you should. It doesn't mean you should be best friends with all those people. Right? There's a lot of people that I'm not best friends with, but that I love. But some people, let's be honest, can we be really honest? There are some people in your life, possibly, that are holding you up from being released by God. There are some people maybe in your life who are holding you back and they're saying, this whole God thing is nothing and you, you, don't, you shouldn't even believe it and there's nothing to it. Is there somebody, is there something holding you back? And what God says is, I know it sounds maybe kind of harsh, but he wants to just go, Be released from that. 
Because if you don't, and this kind of goes to what Jesus was saying, he didn't say this in so many words, but essentially this is what he was saying. Jesus says, if you don't allow God to prune and to cut off the branches that are holding you back, then what happens is eventually you'll be severed, you'll be separated from the vine, which is God. The person or the thing or the substance will drag you away, it'll break you off from the vine, and now you will no longer be able to produce any fruit. All right, this brings us to step number three. So you're chosen, you, you remove all the outer stuff, all the stuff that's holding you back, and then the third step is you soak the wood in oil. Now, why would you do that? Why would you soak wood in oil? Well, this does two things. One, it softens the wood so it's bendable, right? So, so you can kind of shape the arrow and, and straighten the arrow into what it needs to be. But the second thing is, is that it protects it from actually step number four, which I'll get to in a minute. But what is the oil in our life? How does this apply? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, what did the oil in the tabernacle or the temple represent? You know what it represented? The flame that was coming out of the oil, that represented the presence of God. What does God's presence do for you? If you soak in God's presence, if you allow God, if you dig into God's word, we just gave a Bible away to all the graduates. If you simply dig in and you immerse yourself in God's presence on a regular basis, what does God's presence do for you? Well, God's presence will do a lot of things. It will soften you up. Not in a bad way, not to be like, well, guys in the room, you're like, I don't want to be softened up right? You're like, I, I, I want to be strong. I want to be, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to become a doormat. I don't want to become, you know, something. That's not, that's not what I mean by softened up. It means that it opens you up to God, what God wants you to do. It makes you bendable. So if I took a piece of wood that has not been soaked in oil and it's rigid and it wants nothing to do with how I'm trying to bend and shape it, what's going to happen to that piece of wood? If I try to bend it, what, what happens to it? It's going to break, right? It's going to snap. It's going to crack. But if you soak it in oil, if you, we have God's presence in our life, when God begins to bend us and shape us into what we need to become and who we need to be, then we will actually be able to bend and shape and shift according to what God is trying to do. Let me tell you, if God is trying to bend you and you break, it's going to hurt, Right? but bending and being shaped by God is a good thing if we are soaking in His presence. Now, this is really important for step number four, because step number four is one of those things that's uncomfortable for us. Step number four is where you take this wood that is coated in oil now, the oil protects it, God's presence protects you, but the, the fourth step is that you apply heat or you apply fire. This is to further make it moldable and shapeable when it's hot, and that eventually it'll cool and harden and become what it's supposed to become. But when you apply heat, how does God apply heat to our lives? Well, the way that God does this is He does this by challenging your thinking. He challenges your thinking. So let me give you an example of this. So Jesus was, um, He was talking to this rich young ruler, this rich young ruler, this rich young man comes to him, very wealthy, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have a serious question for you. And the question was this, he said, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? 
How do I inherit eternal life? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, there's these commandments and these, these things that are in the Mosaic law and, the, and God's word that you should follow. And he says, oh, yeah, I do all that. I follow those laws. Man, I, I do that. I, I don't commit murder. You know, I don't steal. I, I honor God. Like, I do all those things. And Jesus just says, okay, that's great. And then the conversation ends when Jesus says this to him. I'm going to read it. Mark chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says to this rich young man, he says, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, the question I have for you is, what did Jesus do in that moment? He applied heat. He applied pressure. He says, I want to challenge you a second. Great that you're following all of God's rules. Good job. But now I want to challenge you with something that might be a problem for you. I want you to go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and then follow me, Jesus says. Now, the question is, why did Jesus say that to him? Because he only said this to a few people in different parts of Scripture. He didn't say it to most people. Do you know why he said it to this guy? Because this guy's problem was not following God's laws. He did that really well. His problem was greed. In other words, Jesus put some pressure. He put some heat to this guy by challenging his thinking he says okay if you really want eternal life i want you to realize what heaven's going to be like it's going to be where we sacrifice we give everything we have it's not going to be we hoard it it's not going to be everything consumes and comes flows to us it flows away from us and, and jesus didn't say this but I, I wonder if jesus maybe this is kind of how we need to think about it in heaven if we are not good with generosity and sacrificial giving, I'm not sure we're going to enjoy heaven. Because I think that's the epitome of who God is. And earth is kind of like a training run for us, for what God wants us to be. All right, step number five. How do we make the arrow look like an arrow and make it straight? Well, step number five accomplishes that. So we've put the oil in, it's bendable, we've applied heat, so now it's really going to be able to bend really easily as long as it's still hot. So this leads us to step number five, which is we bind that piece of wood to another straight arrow. Why do we do that? Because we need to straighten the arrow. We need to actually allow the arrow to conform to the shape of what it's supposed to become. Jesus does this and he says this, in Romans 12, 2, listen to what he says. He says, don't copy, don't conform to the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, God wants you to conform to him. Can we be honest here? And, and you guys know I've harped on this before, but I think that this is one of the detriments of American Christianity. We kind of see God as a genie. Rub the lamp. God, 
if I could just get uh, like a double bonus this year, the bonus last year was awesome, but a double bonus would be great because I've really got my heart set on a, you know, on a really nice car. Rub the, rub the lamp, right? We sometimes want to, in other words, we want God to conform to us rather than us conform to God. We get that mixed up. And what God wants to do is he wants to bind us to him. We, he wants us to conform. In fact, it didn't say that word in here, but in the NIV version, if you have this Bible, it'll say conform. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Graduates, your version is going to say the one that I just read, all right? But God says, I want you to conform. I want you to copy my behaviors. I want you to be bound to me because then when I release you into the world, you're going to look like me. You're not going to look like you and, you, and me trying to fit your mold, you're going to fit my mold, God says. So we have to be bound to the right things in God. All right, last couple of steps. What, what do you think has to be at the end of the arrow? If you're going to hit the target and it's not going to hit the target and fall off, what do you need to do at the end of the arrow? It has to be a what? It has to be a point, right? So the step number six is you have to sharpen the front end of it. You have to sharpen the point of the arrow. Otherwise, guess what? It's not an arrow. It's a stick. You just fired a stick out of your bow. Great. Good job. Woo! And it falls down, right? Why? Because there's no point. We have to sharpen the point. How does God sharpen your point? How does God sharpen your faith? Well, one of the ways he does this, you guys already figured probably is going to go here, is by getting into this. And you guys might wonder, like, why do I harp on this so much? You guys know I pull the Bible out all the time and I say, you need to get into this. Here's why. Because this is telling you who God is. This is telling you why what I preach about every Sunday is, has authority. It's not because I'm saying it. You understand that I don't have, what I have and what I'm saying doesn't have authority because it's me saying it. What we do here has authority simply because God says, this is what I want you to become. This is who I want you to be. This describes who you are. This describes who God is. This describes what you're supposed to be about. This describes what you're not supposed to be about. And what I find is we're spiritually illiterate. Sometimes me too. I admit, sometimes there are times I, I don't want to get into this. And this is why. Let me actually share you, with you a scripture why I don't sometimes want to get into this. Because when you get into this, it will disrupt your life. It will place grains of sand into you. And I'm like, God, no, thank you. No. That's uncomfortable. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The Word of God, the Bible, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. How many of you, like, sign up for that? That's great. Right? How many of you, if I was like, okay, I have a counselor, 
he or she is outside. I've got like 15 of them. Let's just line up. And, and let me just tell you, these counselors, they're going to ask you about everything in your life. They're going to expose all your problems. They're going to dig into your weaknesses. They're going to tell you what you need to change. Man, it is going to be awesome. And you're going to walk out and you're going to be just, whoo, you're going to be so much better. How many of you are like, yes, sign me up for that. I'm skipping lunch. No way. Why? Because nobody wants to do that. This is exactly what Scripture does. It digs in and it says, why do you think that way? Why are you doing that? Why don't, why don't we try this? And we're like, ah, I don't want to do that. It sharpens us. And then another way that we're sharpened, you guys already know this, the reason, why are you here today? Why are you sitting in church? Why are we, why did we gather to worship? Did we come to worship God? Absolutely. But there's another reason why we are the body of Christ. You know why? Because God designed us to help sharpen each other, hold you accountable, make you feel better, make you do better. We need to sharpen each other. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We sharpen each other. It's how God designed us to be. All right, last step. Step number seven to make this wooden arrow. What's the one thing that we haven't talked about? What's the one thing that we're missing? If you saw the picture, if you think about it, some of you are archers, like you know this. What, what are we missing? We've got the wooden shaft, it's straight, we're all good. It's hardened now. We got the point on the front, but we're missing a very key component of the arrow. What do we have to add to the arrow? What do we have to put on there? We have to do feathers, right? Why do we have feathers? The feathers are what makes the arrow stay on its path. If with, without, the air, without the feathers on the arrow, you know what would happen? You'd fire the arrow, and the arrow would not just go out and fly straight. It would just it would veer off and it'd be like this, because there's nothing to guide and direct it to the target. It would fly all over the place. The feathers give it the direction. The feathers keep it going the right way. The feathers keep it moving straight so it will actually hit the target. Now the question is, what is the target? The target is very simple. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people. What are the feathers? I already gave you one. This is a feather. It keeps you going straight. It keeps you flying where you need to fly. But then there's other stuff. There's prayer. We talk about prayer all the time. And a lot of people think of prayer as this like perfunctory thing, uh, this thing that we do in formal settings. Uh, like I usually, when I do the, like I said, I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, officiated a wedding, and usually I'm asked to pray before the meal. Usually it's not because they want blessing on the meal. They're just like, well, we feel like we need to. Right? And I, I mean, I'm not saying they have a bad intention or anything like that. But they're like, uh, Pastor Ben, could you stay and pray for the meal? Sure. I, I usually get a free meal out of it, so that's cool. Last night was like three different kinds of meat. They asked me which one I wanted. I was like, uh, all three. <laughs> And she shook her head like, yeah, you get it. And I'm like, I know I get it. Like, it's meat. What's not to love? <laughs> and yes, give me the barbecue sauce. Let's go. Woo! 
Woo, this is awesome. But sometimes we think of prayer as this formal thing that we just have to do. Think about your best friend or your spouse or your children. Somebody, think about somebody in your life who you want to get to know and you, and you love that you know them deeply. How do you know them deeply? I already know how you know them deeply. You spend time with them. You talk to them. You communicate. God wants the same for you with him. That's what we, we call it prayer. We should probably call it something else because we think of prayer and we're like, oh, hmm, hold on, let me fold my hands, let me close my eyes, let me do the thing. But God says, I just want you to come to me normal. Just talk to me, real, be honest. And then stop talking and let God talk to you. One of the biggest parts of prayer is stopping and not talking and listening. So these are the feathers. Now, the question becomes, why would we allow God to disrupt our lives? Why would you allow God to do these seven steps? Why would you allow God to place a grain of sand in your life that's going to irritate you, that's going to challenge your thinking, that's going to challenge and go against culture, that's going to call you to not believe more is more, but to actually believe that more is less? Why would we allow that disruption? Why would we allow God to insert something into our life that's going to disrupt us, that's going to make us feel uncomfortable, that's going to go against our culture? Why would we do that? You know why. Because the result of it is, just what I started with, a pearl. God wants to create something beautiful in your life and out of your life. Do you realize that God already knows exactly who you are and who you should become? He knows. And He's just trying to guide you to that reality. So I want to share one more verse of Scripture today. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he shares something that's very relevant to this topic today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must be disrupted, in other words, You have to give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then Jesus asked one of the most important questions that's ever been asked. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The question is... Are we simply spending our life chasing money and wealth and possessions and identity and sex and dreams and uh, status and power and relationships with people and political agendas and everything else? Are we spending our life chasing everything that we possibly can and doing our thing and doing it our way and, 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 and creating all the stuff that we want to create and we're just forgetting about the fact that God has a plan for our life? There's this struggle between grabbing everything that this world offers, 
and grabbing a hold of Jesus. It's a tug of war, it's a tension. We can't grab both. In fact, believe it or not, one of the most powerful illustrations of this came from Hollywood. Just curious, how many of you have seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, quite a few of you, cool. So at the end of that movie, Harrison Ford, Dr. Jones, Indiana, has been chasing the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. But interestingly, in this movie, the cup of Christ does not signify God. It signifies fame and power and wealth and status. If Harrison Ford, if Dr. Jones can get a hold of that, then he will become famous. He will become known. He will be an archaeologist. By the way, he's one of the coolest archaeologists I know. Whip, hat, all that kind of stuff, like crazy. But if he can get a hold of that, he will have power and fame and status. And so it celebrates and it signifies everything that the world has to offer. And at the end of the movie, you guys kind of probably, those of you that have seen this, at the end of the movie, they find the cup of Christ. They find the Holy Grail. But then an earthquake happens and all this stuff happens and a big hole opens up in the earth, of course. It's Hollywood, right? And Harrison Ford, the, the, one of the main lead female actresses in the movie, one of the characters, she slips and falls. And Harrison Ford, of course, it's Hollywood, so he grabs her just at the last moment. And he's got one hand, and she's got one hand, and then she looks down, and there's the Holy Grail laying on the cliff just out of reach. And she's going like this, and she's trying to reach, she's trying to reach, she's trying to get it. And, and Dr. Jones, Harrison Ford says, give me your other hand. I can't hold you. And tragically, she doesn't give her other hand because she's reaching for what the world has to offer instead of salvation. And she falls. And in that moment, of course, because it's Hollywood, we're not done yet. In that moment, we have another earthquake and Dr. Jones slips and falls into the same pit that, uh, that the woman was in. And then Sean Connery, his father, reaches down, of course, and grabs his hand just as he's falling wow, it's like the cliffhanger, right? And then Harrison is hanging there, and Sean Connery, his dad, has his one hand, and guess what? Harrison Ford has one hand dangling over here, and it's really close. He can even touch the Holy Grail. He's almost got it. Fame, power, and status is there. It's within grasp. And his dad says, Indiana, let it go. You guys want to see it? Yeah. I figured you probably would. This is just a minute long. Really, really quick clip. Take a look. Junior, give me your other hand. I can't hold on. I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana. Indiana, let it go. Indiana, let it go. 
Seriously. Some of you, you're trying to live your life with one hand on God and the other hand trying to grab everything in the world. And what God is saying to you, you have to let go. You have to let it go. I want all of you. I want both hands. You want forgiveness? You want salvation? You want the best life that I have to give? You have to let it go. And you have to give me all of you. More is less. Less is more. I leave you with Jesus' question. What is it worth if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit, you sacrifice, you lose your soul? Which direction will you go? Lord Jesus, Help us in this moment where our world teaches us that more is more. Help us to realize that that is a lie and that more is actually less and that less is more. God, if there are people here who realize maybe just in this moment that they have one hand in faith but then they have the other hand in the world. Maybe there's some people that just realize that just now, that they have one hand on you, but they have one hand in the world, and they, they've, they've been trying to, to live their life for you. They've been trying to live with faith, but they've also been trying to chase the things of this world, and they just feel like they're frustrated, and they, they don't feel like they have enough time, or they don't feel like the, the relationships are going right. They don't feel like their faith is growing and getting stronger. They feel like they're just going through the motions, maybe going to church every, every few Sundays, and, and it doesn't feel like they're going anywhere. It feels like things are just as frustrating as they were last year or the year before, and it doesn't feel like they're maybe the problem is that they've got one hand up to you, Jesus, and the other hand is trying to, to grab a hold of, chase everything else in this world. God, help us to realize that we need to give you everything. That more is less and less is more. God, you gave us a great question. What is it worth if we gain everything this world has to offer, but we forfeit the one thing that's going to last forever, our soul? Help us to surrender everything to you. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.